Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. <laughs> Tommy, Ocean Chinook or Puget Sound Coho, what is your palate favorite? And you drop yeah. that kokanee on top of that barn door halibut's head, 67 feet of water, and he was not happy about that. Well, I don't know. What do you think? Boxers or briefs? Ooh, I'm going to have to go with a European cut speedo. Fantastic. Excellent choice. I yeah. love tuna. I do love tuna. Heck yeah! <laughs> hey, you know, I have a buddy who refers to Canadian geese as flying carp. Obviously, he's not cooking them. <laughs> he clearly, right? Oh, ocean snook. Seriously? Hands down. Really? Hands down. I don't fish for coho. Ah, good point. Hey, speaking of grind, can you tell the difference between ground deer and ground elk? Honestly, taste the difference. You know, Dwayne, we only get one chance to live this life. Mm-hmm. And you will always regret the things that you don't do. So you know what I tell people? Buy the damn boat. Hey, you know, the facts are some days are just a grind. Welcome to Fish Hunt Northwest, the number one fishing and hunting talk show throughout the Pacific Northwest and beyond. Now here's your host, Dwayne England, and of course, the infamous Tommy Donlan. Hello and welcome to Fish Hunt Northwest. Dwayne England, Tommy Donlan coming to you from the Fish Hunt Northwest studio. It's Thursday, so... Here we are. Here we are, baby. Here we are, live, Show 6 p.m. Uh, want, to, uh, want to say hi to everybody. Uh, thanks for jumping on here. And for those of you joining us here on Root Sports, uh, welcome, especially if it's your first time. Would like you to take a little time, poke around on all our social media platforms, take a look at what we have going on here at Fish on Northwest. Tommy's been getting extremely busy as of late with all things going on. And, yeah, we still have some opportunity out there mm-hmm. to enjoy uh, harvesting one thing or another. Uh, take some time, if you would, check out our Facebook page, give us a like and follow. Go to YouTube channel, subscribe there, so you always get notified when we go live and when we post up uh, relevant content. And check out our webpage, www.fishhuntnw.com. Also, uh, do not dismiss hitting you right there in the face, the FHN20 coupon. It's going to link you directly to the Edge Rods webpage where you can order all Edge Rods all the time through Fish Hunt Northwest. 20% off, uh, 20% off Edge Rods all the time if they're not previously attached to another coupon or special. Um, good to see you, man. Glad you're back. Yeah, good to see you for a second weeks, week in a row. Two weeks in a row. <laughs> That's a record right now. Yeah, this time yeah. of year, though, I mean, you know, we're hunting, we're fishing, we're yeah. out doing stuff, uh, family, holidays. We're kind of just, you know, we're in here when we can. So yep. doing uh, doing what we can. And speaking of which, lots of great info Tons of people already signing on, Tommy. We've put some information out there uh, the last few days that's got some attention on the mm-hmm. old social media platform. So we're going to get into all that. Tons of stuff to get here. Before we do that, hey, want to make everybody aware. I got a notification from a few folks. And uh, Chase Cannell, thank you for uh, sending me the reminder. Tommy, we've got a bird flu thing going on up north. It's kind of a major deal. Um, WDFW biologists have been sending out these uh, informational pieces now recently. They've responded to uh, the reports of sick or dead waterfowl in western Skagit County is the main area, Skagit Bay, yep. um, northwestern Snohomish County and Camino Island and Port Susan, uh, upwards of more than 700 deceased birds. Yeah, that's quite a few. It's starting to get yeah. up there, right? They're paying attention to that. So it's an avian flu, bird influenza, believe it or not. It's an avian flu and something we need to pay <clears throat> attention to. That's right. And you can actually report uh, these dead birds if you actually see them. And all you have to do is go to the WDFW webpage. 
Okay, click on the news tab, mm -hmm. and then you'll find the banner with that emergency announcement. Okay. Yeah. And um, you know, just a friendly reminder: as, as much as you may want to help a sick bird, do not. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Do not touch the bird. Do not pick it up. Don't take it to the vet. Don't take it to the rehab mm -hmm. center. And please, please, do not take it home. Right. All you're going to do is just spread the disease. And if you're curious, go watch the movie Outbreak. It was monkeys, not birds, <laughs> yes. but, but please just l let them be. Similar, same thing. And uh, it, can also, uh, it can also affect domestic flocks. So if you're raising chickens or you're raising uh, any types of you know, waterfowl mm -hmm. within your pens or cages, if you see birds acting uh, weird, flipping upside down, vomiting, believe it or not, and uh, excessive explosive diarrhea <laughs> yeah. is one yep. of the key things. Uh, the Pepto-Bismol won't work. Uh, go to the uh, Department of uh, Agriculture uh, go to uh, Washington State Department of Agriculture. They have a banner and informational thing on there as well. Um, there's lots of ways to report it, but up there around Skagit Bay and all those other areas that we uh, that we named. And it also can transition to domestic dogs. That's right. Hunting dogs. That's right. You need to be very aware of what's going on. If you got yeah. birds out there flopping around the field that you haven't shot, yeah. Don't send your dog to go fetch yeah. it. Yeah, and certainly don't eat it. No, your yeah. dog's going to get sick. That's we'll, right. We'll, uh, we'll go into some additional safety tips later on here in the show, but with everybody signing on right away, Tommy, I wanted to get that news bulletin out there because uh, it's pretty concerning, mm -hmm. and there's a lot to this. All right, uh, running down the show, got a great one lined up for you this evening. Starting off with our buddy Kyle Bushelman, owner of Willamette Valley Outfitters, LLC. Chinook in December, Tommy. Lingcott opportunities, of course. Let's get ready for winter on Steelhead down there. Got a host of things to cover with uh, Kyle as we get rolling. Then uh, Buddy Shelby Ross, who we, we will be hunting with next week. Ross Outdoor Adventures, we have our waterfowl hunt coming up. How's the hunting been and what can we expect? Bit of a weather change over there. Gonna dial it in with uh, Shelby to see what we're in for. Got a uh, FHN quick tip lined up for you, how to control and land big fish in river current. This is one some folks struggle with. Got a little piece that we put together a little bit uh, some time ago. It's gonna walk you right through it for success. Uh, later on the show, stock status and harvest management plan for coastal steelhead. Tommy, we have the numbers. And I believe as you mm -hmm. and I get into this discussion two weeks in a row, this is gonna, this is gonna infuriate a few folks and uh, open your eyes a bit. Uh, we're gonna follow up on commission positions and appointees to consider a process you need to help with and you still have time. We're gonna close it out with a crab discussion, keys to success, and what the rest of the year holds. We only got three shows left. That's right. Rolling it down. Coming so, down the wire. Yep, all right, gonna jump out for a quick break. We come back, our buddy Kyle Bushelman will be spooled up here and a great segment with him. Don't go anywhere, a couple minute break. We'll be back right here, Fish on Northwest. Defiance Marine is the one-stop shop for the Pacific Northwest Angler. Defiance Marine guarantees the best price on a new and best service on a repower for your current boat. Defiance Marine is a Honda Premier dealership and one of the largest on the West Coast. Defiance Marine is a boat dealer who proudly sells Defiance, Allied, and Arima boats. All boats are built by West Coast fishermen for West Coast fishermen. Defiance Marine has all your boating needs to help you get out on the water. If you're looking for the best fishing rods in the world, you really do need to take a look at the edge rods. I designed and built new machinery, and I think this new machinery has enabled us to build blanks like no other company can build without this equipment. There is no other rods in the world that are as good as these rods. You owe it to yourself to take a good look at them. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Dwayne and Tommy Donlin here, Fish on Northwest. 
Man, we're just going to have to get on through this stuff. Too much info, not enough time. Our buddy Kyle Bushelman waiting patiently to join us here. Uh, i got a number of things to talk about with him down there in Oregon. Uh, Kyle Bill Bushelman, welcome to the show, man. Yeah, thank you. Hey, absolutely. How you been? Doing pretty good. We've yeah. been staying busy. Lots of fishing, lots of opportunity. Let's just jump right to it, man. You guys are still fishing for Chinook out there on the coast of uh, Oregon. Mm -hmm. um, yes. It's December 8th. We're talking Chinook fishing, and I'm talking bright Chinook. Um, let's talk a little bit to our viewers about what's going on down there with that fishery and where, where, you know, where you're conducting business. Yeah, well, we have that, oh, I call it the fame fishery on the Elk and Sixes on the south part of the Oregon coast near Port Orford. Um, I've been fishing it for about 20 years, and it's been just one of my go-tos this time of year, and it's, it's where a lot of guys go. Um, it's good fishing, and it'll fish till the end of the year. I generally stop after next week, depending on weather. Um, so we have a rain event happening right now, mm -hmm. so it's going to fish here probably Saturday really good. It'll, it'll fish through the weekend really well, Nice. and then it'll be winter steelhead season, which there's winter steelhead down there too, so that's good. Nice. You just never know. Yeah, and you guys actually have another opportunity on the ocean there, a lingcod opportunity, which, you know, you think of December, the last thing I really think about, honestly, is lingcod. <laughs> you think? I think, it's, I think yeah. it's awesome that you've yeah. got these opportunities, you know, chrome schnook and lingcod this late in the year. And then, so right. talk a little bit about that lingcod fishery. How long does that season go for? What methods are you using? Um, what kind of depths are you fishing? Well, right now the link cod are as aggressive as they're going to be. A lot of the big females are coming into the spawning depths. Oh. You know, they're coming shallower off Depot Bay is where I'm at. Um, but most of the ports here that have good reefs will have good link cod fishing. Uh, we're jigging for them, and it's really good fishing. Uh, um, the problem is, is your windows are small. We have sure. huge king tides, and then these brief little moments of we can get out for two or three days and that's it if that mm -hmm. i've had some years where we don't get out in december and this december we've already had three days we may get another small window and then january it'll be the same thing so Feb december january february march it's a great time to catch good big lingcod off the oregon coast is it ever closed down there for lingcod no it doesn't but um <laughs> one thing i do recommend is our big our big females we don't keep them we let right. those go we let them swim we kill the, some nice males but those big females make a great photo and then we return them so that's my one thing i'd advocate if you're catching the big leaders yeah and what's the limit you get one fish per day two two oh, today two. Over, two lingcod over 22 inches yeah well it's oregon tell me why wouldn't yeah. you take two lingcod yeah, and why sure. wouldn't it be open year round i mean what a concept yeah, it's so, phenomenal to me yeah absolutely so yeah well but it's just right now it's really, it's just really good right now because the big fish are they're really aggressive yeah mm -hmm. that's awesome mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Excellent opportunity. Well, let's uh, let's drill down on some um, discussion and tactics and techniques as we start discussing steelhead, which is uh, on the minds of many, especially yep. if, if you're up here in Washington. Uh, you guys are going to crank it up down there in the near short. We're going to come down and join you as we do every year. Looking forward to that. But let's talk a little bit about yep. this uh, season, when it typically gets going here and uh, where where are we going to find you at? Well, I'll be on the Siletz River as always, and that's where we'll go. And then the Umqua. Yeah. I, I live right in the middle of both. So depending on water levels, it'll dictate where I go. Um, usually I start my season January 1st, but we have fish already in the rivers with some decent reports. Um, weather a week. So that's pretty exciting, you know. Traditionally, the Umquas fished well in November, December because it's a bigger system. It's not a coastal stream. 
so we've always had steelhead right after the fall chinook they come in after that lake coho but um most of the coastal streams are seeing steelhead right now so i think it's a good sign for a good season so we'll see uh, that's great, Kyle. So talk Fantastic. about the run timing too. So these early fish, are these mostly hatchery fish? You know, when do you see kind of that broodstock program, those fish really kick off? What do you what do you see right now? Well, on the Umqua, it's mainly wild fish with some hatchery fish that go to the South Fork, which is a long ways from here. So they have to travel 80 some miles, but on like the Celets, those will be broodstock fish. That's where our hatchery fish are coming from is all broodstock mm. fish. So we separate that run starting in January. These early fish are just coming early for whatever reason, but there'll be wild fish and hatchery fish. And we have that broodstock going all the way into April. Uh, so wow. we're going to have keeper steel from now until we, we're done in April. Yeah. That's yeah, awesome. fantastic. Well, uh, it's no secret you guys got a really strong program going on down there. You and I have worked a couple years in a row producing content yeah. to show folks up here what's happening, and a lot of people are beating on the door at WDFW to get more broodstock programming going on up mm -hmm. here. Uh, you guys ready for the onslaught or pilgrimage of Washington anglers that will be joining you once again this season due to our, our constraints we're dealing with up here? Well, as a guide, I'm going to say yes, but, you know, some people might not like that, but I'll tell you, opportunity is a good thing it brings them revenue to the communities right. fishing's good you know and there's plenty of fish that's a testament to you know what oregon's doing or not doing i mean i think less is more i mean there's some rivers we don't touch the umquad doesn't have much of a management plan except we don't you know we haven't killed wild fish until this next year i think they're allowing it which I'm not going to advocate for, but if you there's a tag you can buy, right. which will allow you to retain a wild. I was going to get you back for another discussion set. on that because that one there is yeah. a mind We can talk about that people. later, but we'll have to. So you know, hey, we're up against. A we're hard doing good here. enough that yeah, we're doing good enough that we can. They're considering they're they're allowing that. I guess yeah. is the best. And then our broodstock programs do on the through the Tillamook Bay system, Celets are just doing really well. Yeah, I mean we have good returns and. Um, yeah, I mean, we're right. doing good. We will. Uh, I'm going to get you back to talk about that particular uh, extra extra paperwork and opportunity there for uh, some yeah. because it's very confusing. But uh, hey, www.willamettevalleyoutfittersllc.com. Check out Kyle Bushelman, all that he has going on. Phenomenal uh, guy to fish with, good buddy of ours. Never enough time, my friend. We'll get you back on to yep. have those in-depth discussions very soon. All right, man. Thank you guys very much. See all you right. Then. Have a good night. Have a good one. All right, going to jump out for a quick break. We're going to try to get Shelby Ross on here. Uh, we come back from break. We'll talk some waterfowl and uh, our up-and-coming trip that is just around the corner. Shelby Ross, right after the break, right here at Fish on Northwest. Allied, the new leader in heavy-gauge aluminum boats. Allied boats have standard reverse chine and lifting rakes to help you plane faster and run at lower RPMs. Allied boats have several models to choose from, ranging from a 19-foot Mustang all the way up to a 32-foot Liberator. So regardless of what type of heavy-gauge aluminum boats you are looking for, Allied Boats will have it for you. Contact Allied Boats today to learn more about these incredible fishing machines. Hey, welcome back to the show, Fish on Northwest. Uh, up next, Shelby Ross, Ross at Door Adventures, triple www.rossatdooradventures.com. Shelby's no stranger to the program, Tommy. Uh, welcome to the show, Shelby. How are you doing? I cannot hear him. We good now? We're good. 
I'm just here shoveling snow. <laughs> That's oh, the perfect. sound of it. Let's get right we are to it, my friend. Snow. Uh, you guys start off with a pretty good, a pretty amazing duck season here. Um, it's been it's been hunting well, and uh, things have been things have been moving along pretty good. How did, how does it compare to the last couple of years? We've had the best uh, start to a season in at least a dozen years, and uh, it, you know we were on record on on pace for a totally best one ever. And uh, Mother Nature has uh, slowed that considerably here since the 1st of December. Yeah, it looks like you got some North Pole conditions going on over there, Shelby. <laughs> so I'm curious with this, you know, this considerable temp drop that you're experiencing, how is that affecting the hunting? So the uh, duck hunting on the reservoir has uh, slowed to almost a standstill. Mm -hmm. The uh, sand dune islands are frozen. There's a few ducks out there, most of which you wouldn't want to eat. And uh, so we just have not been hunting the lake since the first of the year. And uh, I've kind of expected the main lake to freeze. It did not freeze. And so we still have open water and we're just waiting for a south wind and a warming trend. And the ducks will be back in one day. And that's happened lots of times. So we're just waiting on the duck side, doing a little bit of field shooting for ducks, but a lot more goose hunting in the field than duck hunting. And the goose numbers are off the charts. Oh, and, perfect. Uh, awesome. Yeah. So there's uh, lots and lots of uh, geese in the area, and uh, I've been burning up the road scouting, and we've been having a goose group every Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday. Okay. And uh, that's been uh, been going really well. And uh, So the duck so, options yeah. there is just not always over the water. We may be hunting in a cornfield, for example. For the ducks? Yeah. So when we get cold temperatures, the, the ducks will use the corn – during daylight hours, right. when it's mild temperatures, high 20s, low 30s, they don't have to feed but once a day. And so they'll go, you know, you might have 10, 20 minutes at the end to shoot, or they didn't come until the end of shoot. And so you watch the duck tornado, but it's two minutes after legal shooting. Yeah. And next week, we're going to have some colder temps, like some single digits coming, and, oh. and that might change that deal all the way around for the ducks. Oh, boy. Mm. Yeah, so that was, that was going to be my next question, Shelby, mm -hmm. is when you look at that weather uh, early next week, you know, and you look into your crystal ball, what's what's that forecast look like? Is that going to be a goose game for us, or what do you think? Well, because of our goose days are only Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday, we don't have an option on mm -hmm. Tuesday. It's, yeah. it's duck or nothing it's else. Or nothing. Yep. Wednesday, we'll have a goose hunt, and the, the debate will be which field's going to be the best shoot, and it's good mm -hmm. troubles to have when i got three or four fields that have you know huntable numbers of birds it's uh it's the right it's the right thing yeah nothing wrong with corn fed ducks nothing wrong with corn fed right tommy that's right uh real quick shelby give us a little update on your uh snow goose populations those continue on to uh go on the upswing they uh they just keep growing and uh kind of uh kicking around i've, I've uh, resisted making the giant investment in uh, you know a thousand plus decoys to uh target them and yeah. i think uh, they're here to stay and so that's uh kind of on the uh, on the forefront here and uh, gonna gonna try that and i don't know that my wife is very excited about an extra month of hunting season but uh, <laughs> next on the agenda yes she'll absolutely. probably sign up to set the decoys oh, for probably you. two yeah. in the morning so all right buddy. well we are looking forward to it. we got a good group joining us over there on the uh showing up on the 12th hunting the 13th and 14th the weather's going to do what the weather's going to do and we'll make the best of it but we're looking forward to a great time so appreciate you taking time tonight always a pleasure and we will see you real soon my friend
Awesome. Great to chat with you guys. Thank right, you. Have a good night. www.rossoutdoorsadventures.com. Check out everything Shelby's got going on over there. Even uh, waterfowl and or the walleye fishing is phenomenal, even yeah, in the, uh, the wintertime. That's going to do us for, uh, for us this week on the front half of the show. If you're joining us on Root Sports, if you're streaming with us live this evening, don't go anywhere. Second half of the show coming up right after the break, and you definitely want to stick around. Tell me we got a great steelhead discussion coming up. Yes, indeed. And uh, lots of info to get through. Don't go anywhere. Jump out for a couple-minute break. We'll be back right here, Fish on Northwest, with the second half of the show. New days, new beginnings, new friends, new loves, new dreams, new goals, new scenery, new job. No matter what the next chapter holds, Better Homes and Gardens Real Estate will be there to help you find the new that's right for your lifestyle at any stage of your life. Better Homes and Gardens Real Estate. Expect better. Sportco and Outdoor Emporium is the largest local outfitter in the Northwest since 1975, providing thousands of people affordable outdoor gear. This summer, make your next outdoor adventure more affordable by shopping at our warehouse style pricing. We are a local Scotty dealer offering sales, service, and repair. Located in Fife and Seattle, come visit us today. The outdoors await you. All right, welcome back to the show here. Dwayne England, Tommy Donnellan, Fish on Northwest, and uh, thanks for joining us. Tommy, we have uh, we have an extended steelhead discussion to continue with. Yes. Right? The rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say. It is, and this is this is a lot of facts and data, so people are really going to dig this. Facts and data and stuff we're not making up. This is uh, this is available via WDFW and the co-managers. This is some of their reporting and statistical <clears throat> data that they make mm -hmm. available to public if asked for. This information has been shared now this last week or so, um, shedding some light on where things are at, where things have been, and um, trying to justify the means of how we arrive at a season that we've been handed. Right, given the numbers that we're evaluating. Yes, yeah. Yep. So look, you and I stand firm on the fact by taking data like this and having an adult discussion, um, mm -hmm. just asking the question as in to justify the means of how we right. arrived here, it's not bashing on anybody. No. This is simply, this is called accountability and transparency. Yep. That's right. Which is something that we have been advocating for <clears> to <throat> WDFW and their PR folks have come back publicly and stated we are working towards more transparency. Mm -hmm. Well, we'd really like to see that. And when this information comes up, yeah, we're going to put it out there on social media and get person's uh, input. There are going to be those that go off the rails and just say, you know, da, 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 and we're just kind of like, yeah, okay. Right. They're venting. They're frustrated. We get that. This is not going after any particular uh, one individual or two individuals at WDFW. And this is certainly not tribal bashing. This is just. No, it's, it's just looking. It's purely looking at the numbers and asking the question. Which is which yep. is appropriate. So yep. uh, one thing we wanted to uh, make a point of. So this is information on stock uh, stock status and harvest management uh, plans and agreements as far as how the seasons have performed over the last twenty years. Signed off by all parties. That's right. I.e. the uh, mm -hmm. WDFW staff, the co-managers, Shahela Stripe, they're all involved in yep. taking a look at this. So that's exactly what we're going to do. And um, first, I want to point out, you know, while Wild steelhead returns in the Chehalis Basin are trending down. That, mm -hmm. is, that is not a shock to anybody. We can see here on the graph, Tommy, that you know as we work towards the last three seasons here, we are in some serious trouble. The black line indicates meeting escapement or the, the bottom line escapement needed 8,600 fish for the entire basin. We are well below that. 
um, uh, again. And so there is cause for concern. Mm -hmm. And we're always going to side on the side of conservation and working towards um, getting these fish recovered, albeit uh, allow us to have a season on hatchery fish where applicable. Right. Right. So right. that is one thing to consider. And we're trying to understand the lack of season and opportunity based on some of the information available and again, how we got the season that we didn't get for the last two years and, and why, how do we justify this? So uh, something else we want to look at, numbers of winter steelhead small plants for the Chehalis Basin, Tommy. Here's the last, uh, I think that uh, represents 10 years or so. Um, yeah, 2008 it goes back to, to 2008. Yep. So um, the, the number on the far right, the cumulative amount or the total, you can see as we got uh, into 2010, 2011, well over 300 thousand and we even brushed 415,000 uh, plus in 2013 and it was over it was over 400,000 in 2016 we've been just a skosh under 400,000 um, the past couple of years but my point mm -hmm. is we're still planting in and around and close to 400,000 steelhead smolt in the entire Chehalis Basin. That's right. Now the one thing they did do is they, they, they swapped out the Chambers Creek strain of fish several years mm -hmm. ago. What's the significance on that? Chambers Creek fish historically were your early returning fish, you know, November go time, historically years down on the Callets, that winter run comes in, starts coming in mid-November. Mm -hmm. we, we can enjoy winter steelhead fisheries from November to March back right. in the day, right? Right. They got rid of the Chambers Creek strain due to mm -hmm. genetics and, and you know, all the reasons why we're making these these shifts to more in line with um, with uh, fish within a basin. Yeah. You know, for right. DNA purposes and hardier fish and all those things, right? What does that mean? Well, our fish returns are a little more narrowed in that we have that hatchery return coming in. They start bumping into those those early wild fish returners mm -hmm. a little more. Mm -hmm. There's not like this major early run and then the wild fish. We have a little more cross crossing paths right. now. They're using the river at the same time. Using the river at the same time. Well right. said. So right. um, that's just kind of you know where that's at, and um, it it doesn't affect really what's going on in my mind. I mean that the plants are there. They haven't that's cut right. back on those yet. Um, but now we want to we want to kind of start drilling down on this thing. Harvest numbers and impacts on wild. That's fish. right. Yeah, this okay. is the key piece of data right here. Yeah. So this is the one we're looking at. Harvest numbers and impacts. And really, okay, when we're talking about this, yeah, the hatchery numbers are on there too. But what we're really paying attention to are the columns that list the impacts or the kill of wild fish. That's right. And you got the commercial catch on the left side of the screen. Right, and you have the sport catch over on the right. Yep. And I think the the key thing to remember here, and if you as you look at this data, this is the last ten years, and as you look in the sport column, and you look over this ten year period of time, you're going to see the highest impact in the last ten years is about 130 <laughs> uh, fish. Now that means that we've encountered 1,300. The mortality rate is 10%, okay? Mm -hmm. And that's a conservative number, we know that, yep. okay? But yep. it is what it is. So in the last 10 years, and, and that 130 uh, mortality rate for that one given year, that was with a run size in excess of 12,000 fish. Yeah. And so you go, well, wait a second. If you remember the show last week, mm -hmm. we said that the impact number, which all of these seasons are based off of, mm -hmm. right? And all of these rules, no fishing from a boat, selective gear, right? All of these um, really harsh rules. That was based on an impact in the Chehalis Basin of 198 fish. Yeah. On a run size of 6,800. 
There's no way that we would ever hit 198 fish if you look at the data, Yeah. right? It took a run size of 12,000 to even hit 130. We've never hit 198 in the last 10 years, right? Right. Yeah. And so how is it that when you look at that kind of number, how could we possibly say we re really need these really short seasons with these really restrictive rules to keep mm -hmm. us off the water? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, the final slide that we're gonna pop up there's really gonna bring this into perspective in that you can see in the columns there, Tommy, and that number 130 is in there on that season of 12,000 plus wild fish. Uh, the recreational community, our number's 130. What does that mean? We actually intercepted, caught, and released 1,300 fish mm -hmm. with a mortality rate of 10% that gives us the 130. So what you guys need to understand, that blue column there that represents our mortality rate is um, those are the handled and released. And look, we keep talking about this 10%. We know right. it's more of a 2% or less is a That's more right. appropriate, right? Yep. But they continue to do that. So um, there's two additional columns there that indicate uh, commercial harvest for the co-managers mm -hmm. Quinault and of course the Chehalis tribe who also fishes on the Chehalis mid-river um, uh, uh, after the Quinault uh, uh, nets have gone in. Yeah. And um, so there's there's kind of a mixed bag here in these numbers in who's all contributing to the to the opportunity and you know who's extracting fish. Um, as you pointed out, uh, this year the season was set we knew we're coming in below escapement. We need mm -hmm. 8,600 fish for the basin. I think we were at 6,800 there, mm -hmm. you know, give or take. Mm -hmm. And the number they kept throwing out there in these meetings was 198. Like our right. impact of intercepting, we're going to intercept 1,980 fish yep. on a run performing at 6,800 wild fish. Right. We hit 130. We caught and released 1,300 fish on a season where we had over 12,000 fish. Yeah, almost so twice as many. The run is half of right. that. Right. So how, you know, so what is that? 65? Yep. 65 fish? Conceivably right. we would hit? Um, it just blows my mind that we're, we're, you know, hanging our hat at night and going to bed feeling confident about 198 right. fish on a run that's going to come in so lackluster that we're concerned about conservation and all that. We get all that. Yep. But how does this historical data compare to the decisions being made right now? Well, and people might wonder, you know, going back to that mortality rate, because that's a huge that that number is critical in how uh, these decisions are made. And you heard Dwayne mention two percent, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, two percent. We didn't get into it with Kyle Bushman, uh, you know, in the first half of the show, but right. we did when we had him on previously. Right. And that is the mortality rate of their broodstock program when they take those fish out of the water, mm -hmm. they put them in the tank in their boat. Correct. They drive back down the river to the box where they have to now open the metal lid yep. and dump them back into a metal container. They have 2% mortality. So you're telling me that we catch this, this beautiful steelhead, right? Take the hook out of its mouth and put it right back in the water. And now all of a sudden the mortality rate is 10%. Yeah. That that's a factor of five difference. That's a, that's a huge <laughs> difference, right? Well, it goes on further um, than that. They take them out of that container. They put them in the truck. Right. Right. They and then they the truck them. Yeah. Right. Then right, they, they right. wait for them in the, uh, in the, uh, tank till they get to that point of where they're ready to spawn. They live spawn them. They put them back right. in the truck. They take them back and release them at the river. Right. This whole thing's asinine. Now, and so here's the other thing, right? Speaking of asinine. <laughs> now, to get back to that 198 number, right, which was our determined impact, um, in order to see, to look back in history and actually find when we achieved an impact greater than 198, you have to go all the way back to the 2003-2004 season, 
which was 19 years ago. 19 years okay? ago. And our impact was 274 fish, meaning we encountered 2,740 fish to reach that level of impact. And that was on a run size of 19,051 wild fish, 14% of that run. 14% of the run. So we encountered 2,740 on a run size that mm -hmm. performed. I mean, I wish we still had these numbers, right? I mean, who yeah. doesn't want almost 20,000 wild fish coming back to the entire base and we'd all be right. fishing, nobody would be complaining. But the fact is it takes extremely high numbers for us to even come close to that 19, uh, mm -hmm. 198 that they continue to uh, come after us with this year. Um, there's, another, there's another component of this that, that is driven home that is never discussed in these town halls information that's never put out there mm -hmm. as far as, you know, it's recreational and it's uh, co-managers and we need to find a way to construct these fisheries. So we all get our opportunity because that's what everybody wants, right? We just have different methods of going after our fish, fortunately, unfortunately. So um, there is another <clears throat> component to that, another column. There's the Chehalis tribe. Mm -hmm. Tommy, they are, um, they are also putting in a gillnet fishery, conducting gillnet fisheries year in and year out. Right. They're uh, fishing on reservation because the Chehalis mm -hmm. runs right there. They run the Black River Hatchery, which they built. Um, they release uh, Chinook, um, Coho, I believe Chum, and, and uh, not sure if they're doing steelhead or not. Mm -hmm. But the, the fact is they contribute to the uh, resource. They also take away from the resource. And the relationship between them and the WDFW hasn't always been above table. I mean, mm -hmm. it's like there's a little bit of confliction there. So there is. we cannot get solid numbers from them <clears throat> consistently. Yeah. What does that do for your co-manager group? They're like, well, your numbers are flawed because you have a third-party contributor to your data. Right that isn't sound and we don't, we're not accepting your data. Well, and the other thing that's really interesting about the Chehalis tribe is that it, they're, a, they're not a recognized treaty tribe. Correct. Which is very interesting. Correct. But they're kind of included in that, that bolt decision in terms of the fishing rights and their take, but their take comes out of our side, our side, our recreational share. Yeah. The recreational component. Um, so, when we want to talk about who is truly having the impact on the wild fish, and we as recreational anglers in the recreational community continue to get put on the sideline for the bad behavior of others, I mean, they have a right to go fishing. But we also have a right to be stewards of the, of the resource, and we mm -hmm. also have a right to all meet at the table and talk about our method, our impact, and what that is truly going to do to this season, right? Mm -hmm. They're worried about 198 fish on us on a diminished run. Uh, we need to be having conversations with those other users right. and try to come up with ways to either minimize their impact um, or, much like us, we talked about last week, we're, we're, we're held down by quota. We're held yeah. down by impacts. We're held down in the salt water by encounters, sublegal encounters, wild fish encounter mm -hmm. releases. Those numbers count in our record book. That's right. And we have to put that information out there, and WDFW tabulates that, and we used last week's announcement of December 1st of the blackmouth closure in Area 11, mm -hmm. not based on the 94 fish that we caught fishing four days a week for a month, but because of the sublegal impact or encounters. Right. Right? So that closed our fishery. That's right. You uh, know, yeah, I mean, the, the thing to also remember, too, is these are gillnet fisheries, right? So yep. when you look at um, kind of the, the wild impact from, you know, say the Quinault and the Chehalis tribes, that is, those are dead fish, okay? Those are fish. Yes, there's no they, FNs they, above. They went man. into the gillnet, they died. Um, that, the one year that we had an impact of 130, 
right? Again, assuming 10% of uh, the fish that we encountered died, that's how you get to the mortality. We didn't kill those fish. Right. We released those fish, but we assume assumption. 10% died. It's an yep, assumption. I agree. Okay, that one year that we had an impact of 130, okay, that year the Chehalis tribe killed with gill nets 272 fish, and the Quinault tribe killed 1,256. Yeah, and those are dead fish, okay? Yeah. Now look, I will, I will say that the co-managers have a right to fish. Absolutely. It's their treaty rights. Absolutely. And there are, there are times of the year you feel like co-management and WDFW is working and sorting through some things, right? Mm -hmm. North of Falcon can be difficult at times. Steelhead is a completely different animal because it's not tied into any type of North of Falcon process. It's WDFW sitting down with specific co-managers in certain regions to craft or draft these steelhead seasons into our opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, but we have, to, we have to look at it with a straight face and go, you know, how is it that the recreational folks, year in and year out, continue to get pushed over here on the sideline? Now, I'm not saying the Quinaults and the Shehalis are fishing this year. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. I haven't got any sound, uh, anybody to step up and say they absolutely are not fishing. Um, I would like to think they aren't much like last mm -hmm. year, although the Chehalis did go in for a few days last year, mm -hmm. you know, and took a few fish. So um, it's, it's finding common ground. And, you know, I am not happy with the fact that they can conduct their method of fishing, right. which has a high mortality and non-discriminate catch. Yep. Um, when we have the ability to selectively catch and release. Right. And we, are, we were asking to have opportunity on those upper tributaries, well far and away from this Chehalis Basin where we're trying to protect the upper watershed and those wild fish up here in this upper Chehalis. Mm -hmm. And the numbers in the, the Satsup and the Wainucci, for example, mm -hmm. um, would give you an opportunity for crying out loud, the Satsup, we can encounter 590 fish. Right. Right? Right. Yeah. We can encounter 590 fish. Right. We could encounter uh, 390 on the Wainucci. Right. Okay. Yep. Our encounter rates on some of these years on the entire region, mm -hmm. we would be hard pressed to, to find that, that 59 or 58 and that 38, 39 number in those specific tributaries. Right. Think about it. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the, the thing that's really concerning, right, is that, you know, we just presented to you the last, you know, 10 years of data and we've been looking at charts that you know have gone back 20 years um they're a little little hard to show right because it's kind of an eye chart on the screen yeah but but the data is there and and if, it's on our if, facebook page and if people want to go look at it there you go good yeah. point go to our facebook and page the thing that's that's maybe a little concerning right is is you heard on on last week's show that we don't have the funding in the budget allocated for monitoring correct that, now think about that. We mm -hmm. just we just showed we've got data every year the last 10 20 years. How is it all of a sudden we're not including the day, the, the budget required to monitor this year just like we have in past years. Right. But now all of a sudden we can't we can't monitor and therefore we have to reduce the opportunity or completely on the close sports it. side yeah. or completely close completely it. Completely close it. Yeah. So your point is valid. We are looking at 20 years of data. Yep. All users of the resource having an impact. Varying numbers dependent on our method of how we harvest mm -hmm. and encounter these fish, right? Yep. There's no disputing that. We have 20 years of data. I would like to think this is sound information, not just arbitrary numbers thrown in on the re recreational side just to kind of appease the co-managers. They gotta be getting this from somewhere. But I gotta tell you, I've been fishing these rivers down here in this Grays Harbor region for 35 years. 
I cannot recall in steelhead season, yes, there's fish checkers to check our hatchery fish and have mm -hmm. that discussion. Right. Did they ask me, how many wild fish did you encounter? How many wild fish did you catch and release? Mm -hmm. No. Tommy, no. Nobody's ever asked me that question hmm. anytime I've been out in this region fishing and, and going after hatchery fish. Yeah. So how do you... How do you justify 20 years of data with these numbers in comparison? And yet now, last year we didn't get to fish, and this year, right. um, you know, Kelly Seuss one answered uh, in in the meeting Correct. was very on point to stress they don't have the monies, they can't collect the data, the co-managers will not agree to the fishery because yep. we cannot collect the data. And they're going to go to legislators, as we guys expressed last week. They're going to go to legislation here in January, February. Mm -hmm. They're going to ask. The ask is 5.9 million. For boots on yep. the ground and potentially sonar, if that will ever come to fruition. But the point is, look, we're looking at 20 years of data. How do we all right. of a sudden not have data? That's right. And, you know, and Gabe Miller commented, he chimed in, and he sums it up really, really well. He said that graphic illustrates perfectly how marked selective fisheries can harvest large numbers of hatchery fish while having minimal impacts on wild stocks of concerns. Yes. That's the bottom line. Look, I posted this graph on our social media and Facebook page today, and a lot of discussion started happening. And David Trout, who's become a friend of ours, and, and you know, I'm at much respect for David Trout as Natural Resources Director over there in the Squally Tribe, and they do a lot of things right. My, I tip my cap to him and what he stands for and the discussions we have. He made a point to say it's it's it also, um, you have to look at overall harvest and overall share. I said, you're right. There are years, several years, where recreational opportunity bodes well. We have much higher success and or take of hatchery stocks of fish mm -hmm. than the co-managers. Mm -hmm. Their, their uh, gill net methods um, result in a certain amount of fish, and we're in the thousands for whatever mm -hmm. reason, right? Hatchery fish. So right. our numbers are way up there. Um, we shouldn't be penalized for that. Right. But that, that, that brings up a whole other point, though. You want the hatchery fish out of the system. Absolutely. The hatchery fish are there for really, I mean, one or maybe two reasons, but they're, it's, they're, they're there to be caught. Absolutely. Okay? You want them out of the river system. And sport fishing is the most effective way mm -hmm. to selectively take those fish out of the system. 100% agreement. Yep. Um, you know, there should be no penalty uh, on years that we have a higher success rate in removing hatchery fish from the resource. Mm -hmm. There's there's no downside to that. That's why we're putting yeah. them in there, Yep. right? Well, it, and the, the, the scary thing is, is right, is you take us off the river, right? You take the, the sport portion off the river. Now you're giving fodder for the environmental groups, just mm -hmm. like they've done in other places. All the wild say, fish groups, yeah. Oh my God, there's no room for the wild fish on the spawning beds. You've got too many hatchery fish in the system. Yep. You need to shut down your hatchery, Yep. right? Yep. And the data that you showed earlier, we've shown a consistent release of hatchery fish in these river systems, yeah. you know, for the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. We need to be fishing. We need to be fishing. And there is not one documented case as of late. I mean, we started removing hatchery fish from rivers well over 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. There is not a single, they cannot stand there with a straight face and tell us, these fish are coming back in amazing numbers because they're not competing with hatchery fish in the system. Mm -hmm. Contrary to popular belief, with all the impacts of predation, mm -hmm. and we've discussed this previously too, and I think most folks can wrap their head around this. If you have 500 hatchery fish and 500 wild fish swimming up a river, and uh, the avian, the bird predation, and the in the pinnipeds are having their way with them, um, the, the out migrant smolt, you know, on, uh, for the birds and the, the returning fish for the yep. seals, um, they're kind of just they're just grabbing whatever they can. They're not looking for they're not looking for adipose fins. 
They're no. eating what they can. Right. Now you remove the hatchery component out of all these systems. And mm -hmm. all we have out there is wild fish. And we're doing nothing about the predation issues except having meetings, discussing, creating data, 11-year mm -hmm. studies. Because why, Tommy? Studies get money to continue to fund so people can continue to do their studies. Right. Um, that being said, if all there is swimming is wild fish, your numbers are going to continue to go down because there's nothing else to substantiate the run or give these predators right. opportunity to go after, mm -hmm. right? So that is a, uh, a bold-faced lie. They're trying to sell this thing. It makes no sense. Um, and we have not seen a robust return of wild steelhead on any of these systems where we completely remove the hatchery component. Right. Not happening. Yep. I would like WDFW. Um, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna make phone calls, Tommy. I'm gonna try to get somebody on the phone to have a discussion as to how we arrived at the season we are dealt with this year, and in comparative to the data that we're kind of working our way through here, mm -hmm. a lot of folks chiming in with great uh, points of information. There, there's a there's a fine line here, and it's been crossed. And I don't believe it's justified. Mm -hmm. And I would like them to justify how you arrive at these seasons based on the historical data and us as recreational anglers just trying to get back what it is we should be allowed to do. So, Amen. Uh, for that, uh, that, that's what it's worth. All right. Hopefully you guys can uh, take that information, share this out there with a lot of people. Um, folks need to be fired up. And uh, we need to ask the questions and be respectful of the, uh, the co-managers and the user groups. Um, and those making the decisions, but we need to hold them accountable into the decision-making process. And um, there is a meeting tomorrow. There's a, there's a commission meeting online you can tune into. Um, Going to be interesting. I may take a moment to uh, speak during that meeting as well, tell the commission a few things. Beautiful. <laughs> that uh, they, they need to hear from me and several others who are involved in this process. All right. Uh, that'll, uh, that'll terminate that discussion. Tommy, we come back uh, from this break. We are going to revisit briefly some information that's been kind of pushed around there um, mm -hmm. about the up-and-coming commission appointment positions, some uh, direction to give to you folks, and some help that is needed, and take action item. That's Thomas, right. a take action item that we would like to see you folks jump, uh, grab a hold of and uh, make a difference. Don't go anywhere. Jump out for a couple minute break. We'll be back right here. Fish on Northwest. A Northwest favorite for almost 40 years. Arima boats are manufactured with pride in Bremerton, Washington. All Arima boats are built without any structural wood materials. That is why Arima boats are backed with a lifetime warranty. Arima can offer every boat with Honda outboard packages so that you can take advantage of the reliability and five-year top-to-prop warranty from your Honda outboard. Call or stop by Arima Boats today and let them help you get into your very next boat. Cutbacks in funding and fewer law enforcement resources are affecting our businesses and communities. If your business is feeling the effects, Phoenix Protective may be the solution you are looking for. They offer security solutions customized to meet your needs. From remote video monitoring in their 24-hour control center to a proactive, experienced security professional on site, Phoenix Protective has over 20 years experience in ensuring the safety of their customers. Team members are highly trained and proactive, giving them the ability to adjust to the changing needs of their customers. Customers choose to work with Phoenix Protective because they provide the next level in security support to industries such as schools, hospitals, transit, and utilities. For a security assessment to see how Phoenix Protective can help you and your business, visit their website at www.phoenixprotectivecore.com and select contact.
All right, welcome back here in studio as we wind down the show. Uh, Tommy, three more shows left for the year. Oh. Three more shows left. So we're going to be in and out, mm -hmm. bouncing around. we got holidays to get to and through and some stuff going on. So, But uh, we will be bringing you shows as best we can as, this, as the year winds down. And, you know, if you miss it here on the live stream on Thursday evening, you have the opportunity, typically on Sundays now, uh, we've shifted from Saturday, Sunday to a Sunday, Monday. Most mm -hmm. of that's due to sports scheduling right now. But on Root Sports, you can get it either uh, via Comcast or out there on DirecTV. Mm -hmm. There's folks watching it somewhere, you know, Midwest and stuff under it. It's fantastic. They're watching it out in North Carolina. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, see that? So um, you can find us on Root Sports, 9 a.m. on Sundays, uh, typically, and 9.30 a.m. on Monday. You're going to get at least the first half of the show. And we're going to bounce some of our second half of the show content to the root sports side of things so other folks in five other states can yeah. you know take take a look at what it is we're uh, we're up against here in yeah. washington yeah. you know for good reason right Make them feel good about their state yep uh reminder we got that waterfowl hunt coming up with shelby here i believe there's one or two spots available don't quote me on that but you won't know unless you call him go ahead and uh give him a call uh, 509-750-7763. There's still time to get in on that. It's going to be great. The goose hunt will be phenomenal. The duck hunt, you know, it may be a bit of a challenge. We may be uh, hunting the corn and laydowns, mm -hmm. but nonetheless, it's still going to be a great time. And you get to eat those duck kebabs, which you still have. Oh to yeah, I know. I never have. Get your Dang teeth it. into. Yeah, those. Well, are last phenomenal. time we, you know, we did we did the goose game. Correct. And we were done in a half hour. It seemed like it, it was like it took a, longer to set everything up yeah. and break everything down. I mean, we didn't even have time to retrieve the geese that we shot. No. We had the next, you know, flock coming in. Shelby's so. yelling, yelling, get down. I'm trying to set cameras. Yeah, that's right. You and almost got pegged by one. So I'm out there setting a camera. He says, get down, right, in his best <laughs> Arnold voice. And so I hit the dirt, and I just duck and cover, and I'm all cameled. So they come yeah. flying in, and, and they weren't shooting over me. But right. they're shooting the birds, and then, of course, a bird got hit, and then it veered off. It tried to fly, and when it dropped, it landed about four feet behind That's my right. feet, man. That's and those things hit the ground. It's a thud. Yeah, yeah it's a big bird. It's a thud. Yep. You get a 35-pound honker coming down, yep. man. That is a thud. That that lands square on the small of my back. Yeah, oh. yeah. that would have been exciting. <laughs> Knocked the wind out of you. So, um, also, we got, uh, we're looking forward to that hunt. Uh, the following week, uh, Matt Messing and I, because you're not available, are going to run out. We're going to jump in with Bobby Kratzer. Yeah, going to spend a day cool. fishing with Bobby. It's going to grab some great content on the coast out there. Um, going to have multiple discussions yeah. on a lot of things going on with these coastal fisheries to get a little more insight from his perspective. You guys know him. He's been on the show multiple mm -hmm. times. All the groups that he's affiliated with, president of this, vice president of that. I mean, he's, mm -hmm. he's immersed in this stuff. And uh, also going to talk to him about the Washington State Guide Association group mm -hmm. and what that means to be part mm -hmm. of that right so great content for us to bring uh back to you guys out there uh in the fields and on the water um tommy before we get out of here we do have some additional safety tips with this avian bird flu um that wdfw wants us to be aware of so some things to consider uh what's on the top of your list right there mister well i picked one in the middle of the list because i like to have a nice tequila when I'm processing my game, oh, good cleaning point. my fish, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And so the thing you got to remember here is you do not want to eat or drink wow. while while you're processing birds, right? Because, you know, you touching the bird, touching, touching your cup, drink. 
you know, glass touches your mouth. Stirring your eyes. Pretty soon you got the bird flu. Yeah. So <laughs> you got the bird flu. Yeah. Uh, wear disposable gloves when cleaning harvested birds. Uh, or cleaning bird feeders. That would be for your domesticated uh, birds. Do not dispose of processed carcasses in the field where they could be eaten by raptors. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, bag them up, place them in the garbage can, right? So. Yeah. And, and don't don't go for the bird that's that's not flying, right? Okay, if there's a bird that looks sick, don't let your- Just leave it alone. Just leave it alone. Don't, yeah. don't shoot it, yep. don't pick it up. It's sick. Yep. Wash your tools and work surfaces. Yep. Clean your knives and things. If you're, you know, carving those yeah. breasts out of those birds, make sure you wash everything down. Bleach is a great uh, alternative for that. It's going to kill all bacteria, all little bug germs and things like that. Yep. So clean your uh, your prep surfaces. Clean your tools. Make sure you wash your hands. Don't be touching your face. Um, this isn't because you've purposely gone out and picked up a bunch of birds that were doing the flip-flop and stuff. This is because yeah. you've killed a bird that was flying and you don't know if it might have yeah, the you don't virus know. in it. You don't know. You don't know. And so maybe you, yeah, and maybe it just contracted it and it's not showing signs or symptoms. Yep. So, you know, and then the other thing is, you know, always always cook your game. Yes. Uh, you know, in this case, birds, right? You want to cook it to, you know, 160, 165. Use a internal uh, thermometer. You know, I like to cook all my meat to just, just the acceptable level and, and really not a degree above. Um, so I'm always probing to make sure it's at that temp. Yep, yep, yeah. excellent advice. So for more information, there's a lengthy uh, web page on here. I'm not gonna give it to you. Uh, the simplest way, really, and you'll find it right at the top, go to WDFW, click on their web page, mm -hmm. look across the top, there's a little uh, tab that says news, click on the news tab, and they have put a banner of information, avian flu, right at the top of the news page, Yep. pinned to the top, you can't miss it. You click on that, all this information that we've been describing here this evening, opening the show it's and closing, there. it's all there if you have any questions. So you're gonna, you're gonna keep it safe, you're gonna get out and enjoy your hunt, not worry about it, um, follow the directions that have been put out there and you should be safe. So, uh, all right, with that, that's uh, that's about a wrap, man. It's gonna do it. It's gonna do it for this week. Uh, we'll be back next week, um, should be, right here, 6 p.m., uh, we'll see. Uh, we may we may have to uh, do an audible, but we'll see. We'll have something for you. Um, enjoy the weekend. Get out uh, where you can. Get out and try to grab some of those last remaining coho on the opportunities we have. Get out and start steelhead fishing. And, um, you know, if mm -hmm. you're on the other side of the state, enjoy that snow. Yeah, That's all absolutely. I got. All right, going to do it for us. We're out of here. Have a great evening, everybody. We'll see you next week. Hey, thanks for joining us here on the Fish on Northwest weekly podcast. I want to remind everyone that you can catch our weekly live stream show on our Facebook page and, of course, our YouTube channel every Thursday evening at 6 p.m. West Coast time. You'll get our insightful in-studio interviews, our extremely detailed how-to segments in the bait lab, the infield segments we bring to you when we're on the water or in the woods, and, of course, our amazing cooking recipes in the kitchen with co-host Sherry England and Chef Jeff Maxfield. Give us a follow on our Facebook page at Fish Hunt Northwest. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fish Hunt NW. Find us on Twitter and Instagram. And finally, go to our webpage at www.fishhuntnw.com for all the latest and greatest info. Join us each week here on our podcast. Join us each week at our live production. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V.
AV on YouTube.